Well, we're in the fourth of five weeks of a series we've titled Velcro, and what will stick, and the, the concept behind this is really based on a biblical principle of remembering. It's always that when the people of God go through something, God is always encouraging them to remember, not simply to look back and recall it, but to carry it with them, like Velcro, to let it stick and take root and have them live differently. And in the same way, all that we're going through in the midst of this COVID, in the midst of all that's been happening, we believe there are things God wants to stick and wants us to have stuck to us. And and in fact, I'm going to begin somewhere, but I think it will lead us somewhere else today. Initially, when I thought about this, I'll be honest, one of my struggles in our culture and with all of us is whenever we talk about engaging in any activity or doing anything in any way, almost always the response is, I'm too busy. It's this overburdened, overscheduled life. Now, we've had this unique opportunity for many of you where life has slowed down. There's been this pairing back out of necessity. None of us chose it. It just was thrust upon us. Activities were canceled. Events were canceled. Suddenly, we were left with time together and time differently. Now, I realize that's not true for everyone. For some of us, it has been even busier managing kind of all of this chaos and change. But one of my hopes in this was for those that had to slow down, that maybe something would happen and we would get a taste of something better. So when I first thought about teaching on this, this idea of how do we carry with us, not adding so many things on, of looking at time differently, I initially just thought about basic principles. In fact, in Proverbs, it's this wonderful statement that's better one handful with peace than two with strife. It's a theme that goes through Scripture that there can be too much and too much going on. In fact, we have these really wonderful images that help with it, two in particular that are often talked about when we talk about time. One is called the principle of margin. Margin is making room for what really matters. We could say very simply that margin is the space between our load and our limits. If you think of margin on a piece of paper, it means we never write to the edges. We leave room. And when we cultivate margin, we actually have space for things that can come up that we don't plan for. Now, you and I know that most of us live with no margin, or we have at least, before this season. Another way it's often talked about is with these two, kind of these two objects where you think of the little rocks as the little things in our lives. The big ones is what matter most, and the medium size is what matter in between. And it tends to be what clamors for our time are those little things. They fill up our lives. Then we kind of put those things that we might say are in the middle, and by the time we get to what matters most... We don't know how to plan. And you could look at it, and it's a really simple principle. Well, do what matters most first, then add the things that are important but not as, and then you see if what there's room for. It's a wonderful thought, a wonderful idea. It's prioritize what matters most, then add what there is space for. Now, those are really practical ideas, and probably on my best day, I wish us addressing time, us addressing the pressures we've lived in in this unique season, that it would be an easy thing to go, now we're going to recalibrate. But something happened to me as I began to consider this in my own life, and I think you would be similar to me. I don't think we overschedule because we don't know how to manage time. I think there might be something deeper going on for us. And I'm just going to say it this way before we even look at the scriptures together. 
and I know time's not the only thing. In fact, even though we're going to look at time, the principle will apply to what can be lots of different things in our lives. Last week, we really considered what radical love is. We called you, we called each other to be radically loving. This idea that we actually love each other in our differences. Well, if I were to kind of consider that today, I'll I'll tell you right now where we're going. I think today we're calling you to radical surrender. I think we're calling me to radical surrender. I think what we're going to discover is that Jesus is not calling us to a bunch of set of options, and then we kind of pick and choose from them like an a la carte menu. That the beautiful, wonderful mess that Jesus calls to is both freeing and also incredibly profound in saying let go. And so I'm going to ask you to consider letting go today. Not simply following nice principles, though they can be helpful and should be helpful, but can we mine deeper into what may be going on beneath the surface? And I'm going to invite you, honestly, to even ask God, you know, is there something I don't see that motivates me? I mean, when you consider it, think, think about the, the things that cause you to be over busy. I, I know for me, uh, you know, they call it FOMO, the fear of missing out. There's so many opportunities. Do you ever fear that if you don't say yes, you will be the less for it? When it comes to your kids, those of you who are raising kids, do you fear if you don't say yes to every opportunity available to them, they'll fall behind? Do you fear if you don't do all that's out there opportunistically for you, you'll never get ahead? Do you maybe even fear having to live in silence that the idea of being bored scares you to death? So let me just keep filling and keep filling and keep filling. We're going to go to a particular scene in the Gospel of Mark, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This is a monumental moment. We're going to show you the moment, and then we'll go back and look at what leads up to it. But after Jesus really calls people to what I would say is radical surrender and an invitation uniquely to follow him, he knows how hard this is to hear. And he makes this statement, and then his disciples respond, and that's where we're going to take it up to begin. He looks at his disciples after this big event that's happened. We'll go back to it. He says, with man, this is impossible. With humanity, this can't happen, but not with God. All things are possible with God. In other words, what I'm going to ask you to do, make no mistake, you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. And then Peter responds in a beautiful statement that really is going to get at where we're going. He says, we've left everything to follow you. Very simply, what he's saying is we let go of everything. We surrendered everything to follow you. Now, I'm not trying to hide it. I'm not trying to couch it in a different way. What he's basically saying is nothing holds us back, Jesus, from whatever you want, and we're yours. Yours and yours alone, whatever it means, however it means. And make no mistake, time is where I started, but it's not where we go for all of us. Because you might find as we look through this that different things grab you. Different things grab a hold on you that you say, I just can't let go of that. Now, the event that leads up to this is an event between a young man and Jesus. Something happens to this young man and in his story. And we begin it just a little bit earlier in the passage. 
Jesus is starting on his way, and a man runs up to him. He falls on his knees before him. You can tell this is important. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it I need to live differently? And make no mistake, to a Jewish person, inheriting eternal life was not simply how do I get to heaven after life? How do I live differently even now? Jesus responds. He tells him, listen, you, you know the commands. After he says no one is good because the man has noticed something different about Jesus. He says, listen, don't kill anyone. Don't steal from people. Don't go after and have adultery. Don't have relationships outside of where you should. Don't give a false testimony. Don't defraud people and honor your father and mother. He literally goes through the parts of the Ten Commandments that are how you relate to each other. What he's saying overall is how you love others will be a reflection of how you love God. He's basically telling him this. Now, the man replies, hey, listen, I've done all of this since I was a kid. I'm really trying to follow the law. And Jesus now gives him an incredibly difficult challenge. Jesus looked at him, and see what it says here? He loved him. I don't want to pass this up, even though I didn't highlight it for you. I want you to realize what Jesus is about to say, he says because he loves this young man, he sees into his soul and he understands there's some things holding you back. And so he says this, one thing you lack. One thing is keeping you from fully giving yourself to who God is. Go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, in our modern culture, we hate this story. In fact, there's a lot of skepticism. People often say, oh, the church loves to teach this because it's the church saying, give us your money, give us everything. And then, you know, basically it's this ulterior motive. Like, we just want your money, so we teach this passage. Interesting piece, does Jesus say to give it to the church? He doesn't. He says to give it to the poor. That's its own beautiful story, though we don't need to go there in depth today because Jesus' heart for the poor and oppressed is directly connected to his heart for salvation. Jesus not only wants people to be free of sin and have new life, he wants them to be free of every kind of oppression. But that's still not where I want you to focus today. Where I want us to go, where I want us to be willing to go, is that Jesus, out of love, reaches into this man's heart and finds the place that he doesn't want to let go of. And he says this, can you really just let go? Because what you're doing is you're saying, yeah, I want to do what you want, but let me keep these things with me. In fact, it says the man lowered his head and left pain because he had great wealth. It isn't simply mean because he had money that made it impossible. It means that he'd become in love with it. He'd come to a place where he thought he needed it. And what Jesus is saying is really what Peter says later, you got to let go of everything. And when you're done and you can let go of everything, then you come follow me. Then you come follow me, but you can't follow me half-heartedly. You can't follow me without really letting go. You may wonder, why does this connect to time? And this is what I would say. I think time in our day and age is a unique commodity. Maybe even more so than money 
could be, although this could be true for many of us that money is the one that we can't let go of. It could be other things we can't let go of. I'm just using time to start with because I think it's a dominant problem in our world. Think of how many times someone asks you in some way to live missionally for Jesus to follow him, and your response is, I don't have time. Jesus, I want to follow you, but there's just some limits I've set. You don't understand my life. I want you to consider this, even in our motives. Think about why it is we have to do the things we do. Think of families as parents. Let me just use this in the years of raising children. We are told by everyone around us, our kids need all of these opportunities in order to flourish. And we have said, if I don't provide everything for them, they'll get behind and they won't flourish. In other words, I want to follow you, Jesus, but man, I can't let my kids miss out on flourishing. And if they don't get everything available to them, they won't make it. There's something inside of us that says, I need to have this. I can't let go of this. I think of how this is exaggerated in families that are in the midst of divorce because I've watched every parent that has children that they share time with feels guilty. And so it's so hard for us to say no to our kids because we fear we're letting them down and we're trying to make up for guilt. And we would say, Jesus, I know you want this, but... Then I think of just the opportunities we have. This man had great wealth, but think of all the great opportunities you have. And let me use it as an example that's much more simple. I wonder how many of us attend church as long as it doesn't get in the way of other opportunities. Now, I'm not saying to follow Jesus, you have to attend church every Sunday. But let me flip it around. What has happened is we have used our freedom to not be engaged in the life of the church in many ways. Boy, I really don't know when I can make it. Boy, we'd love for you to get involved in a community of believers. Yeah, I don't know. I've got this this week and that this week and that next week. And, oh, I'd love for you to serve. Well, as long as the weather's not too bad and too good. And we make a lot of conditions because our time is spoken for. We've kind of basically said, listen, Jesus is much more than a building in the church and the activities of the church. And so we kind of excuse ourselves to I follow him, but that's really code for I do a lot of other things. Radical love sounds a lot better than radical surrender right now, doesn't it? I say this because Jesus said this out of love, and I want to tell you this out of love too. One of my biggest concerns is to walk through this season where you've actually, many of you had slowed down and even benefited from it some, but you will go right back into the life you lived before. Because man, you, you've had a lot of great activities going on. And make no mistake, there are great things that we all have opportunities for. I wonder if you could begin to ask the question, why do I say yes to what I say yes to? What are you afraid to lose out on? What would happen if you said no to other things for the sheer sake of saying, Jesus, I'll follow you. I will leave everything else behind. And make no, no mistake, this is not simply a now I clear my schedule and I don't ever do anything. It's saying I surrender it. Or I surrender something else. I'm using time as an example, but there are lots of things. Let me, let me help you this way. Let me give you three simple questions that you can ask that I think can lead us 
through whether it's how you spend your time or how you prioritize other things in your life and say, I need this. In fact, here's a way to think about it before I ask the questions. Is there anything that if Jesus actually said to you, I want you to give this up, you'd go, no, can't do it. Is there anything that the thought of him even asking you scares you? If so, here's some questions to consider. And the first two, I think, are kind of simpler. They're, they make sense. They're logical. What am I hoping to gain for myself or my family or my work or my career if I say yes to this? In other words, what, what is my motivation for why I would do this? And make no mistake, this is the same thing this rich young man would have to ask. What's my motive for why I'm building the wealth that I have? Because Jesus drilled in to motive. What do I hope to gain from it? Do I hope by being, giving all these opportunities to the people around me and my family that what I'm doing is I'm being a good parent to them? Do I hope they'll see me positively? Do I hope to keep myself from feeling less than for the families around me? Because boy, if I say no to anything, I'm a lousy parent. If I don't accumulate enough for us to have these great places to go away to basically recover from the overburdened life we live. That's our strategy, many of us. We work really hard, we work way too much, and guess what, I need a place to go. I am so tired from this, now I need a place to rest. Please don't ask me to follow Jesus. Or maybe what we're hoping is to have our life go a certain way by a priority we've given. Something we've said, I have to have this. This has to be true. We, we talked about this last week, but how many of us are so fearful that if our political ideology doesn't move ahead, we're afraid it will all suffer and life will go poorly. Guess what? Jesus wants us to follow him whether that happens or not. Here's the question you can ask back that's easy. What will saying yes keep me from that matters more? This really goes to this idea of the bigger rocks, those things that matter more that we haven't even considered I'll use the family picture again, but I've heard this from couples, from families, and from singles. What's happened in this slowdown is they've discovered how to uniquely be present with each other in ways they haven't. I talked to several families that they had actually had dinner together with their teenage kids regularly and learned to interact and have time rather than sit in a stands and watch them do other things all the time. And they went, wow, I didn't know what this was like. I've listened to couples who've said, we've never had evenings like this to engage in our relationship. I've listened to singles who've said, man, I'm not so busy running around being so busy and at the same time being so lonely, I'm discovering a new way to living. I, I wonder what would happen if we started realizing what we're being kept from. And those are simple things. I haven't even gotten to the thing that could be the most significant and that will lead us to question three that I don't think we really consider and this relates to time, but it can relate to a lot of other priorities that we've just said, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I can't let go of this. Consider this question. What might Jesus be asking me to let go of and to trust him in order to follow him into something so much greater? This is the part I think that we never spend time on. We talk about surrender, radical surrender. Guess you've got to give up your life to find it. You've got to let go of these things in order to have 
Jesus. But we don't consider what Jesus invites us to is better. We kind of look at it as what we let go of, not what we gain. And often it's because we can't see it yet. People regularly, I'm sure they do this to you, they ask me what I do after I get to know them a little bit. And I've told a bit of this before. When you tell people you're a pastor, it is the death sentence to interaction. They just look at you like, I'm done. And they have all sorts of little strategies they do, but I found that the friendly factor goes down. So one of the things I've begun to do is rather than say I'm a pastor, I actually tell them what we do, which is a little more like I would say what I, th I think we should pay attention to anyway. You know what I tell them? I've started to say things like this. You know what? I'm involved in this really unique organization that is globally significant. There's places all over the world. And the crazy part about it is we have this amazing work that we meet up with people that's lives are devastated. We actually get to help people that are in great brokenness find new hope. We help find marriages that are broken and put them back together. We help singles that feel isolated and alone find families and life. We help the broken find healing. We actually see people that are dying come back to life in new ways. We see people with horrible problems and addictions and rustlings that they never feel they could get out of, and we get to watch them find new beginnings and new ways. We help people discover that all the things they thought they've done that define them don't have to, and they can find new life and new hope. Literally, we see resurrection, we see purpose, we see life. Now, guess what? That intrigues people. And guess what? That's what following Jesus means. He didn't say, follow me so you can look at all that you gave up. He said, man, if you'd be willing to let go of these good things, there's something so much better for you. You know, I, I gathered into this over time, but I know it's much bigger than this. And I know it's not just your time, and I know for some of you it's not time, it's something else. It's something else that you've anchored into and said, no way, this I need alongside of you, Jesus. I'd like to follow you, but if it means letting go of this, I just can't do it. You see, leaving really good things behind will free us to fully follow Jesus. I want you to understand it this way. Fully following Jesus means you will leave really good things behind. There's just no way around it. And make no mistake, this time we live in history has the best really good things we've ever had. We've never had more opportunity for wonderful blessing and wonderful comfort and wonderful places to recreate, to enjoy relationship, and all sorts of things to make life better. I want you to think about this, though. If it's so much better, why are we so miserable? Why is having all this stuff become slavery for us in its own way? We are enslaved to the things that we think make life better that we can't even let go of them. You know, Jesus makes a statement that the Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for Sabbath. And sometimes I feel like we think we're made for the opportunities we're given rather than they're given for us. And one of the most freeing acts is to say no. One of the most freeing things is to start letting go of good things. 
that that's the reality of what Jesus calls us to. He looks into our lives and he sees the places that are holding us back. And he goes, listen, I know it sounds scary, but man, let go of this. The last thing he wants is to see our heads go down and say, I just don't want to let go. Let me say it this way to you. The battle is trusting him for what you can't see yet. You see, in reality, when we step out and fully follow him, we let go of things not knowing what will come. We actually have to trust that what he has is better than what we're living in. Now, the beauty is we have 2,000 years of the church to look at all the great things that people have done to change the world by letting go in every generation. This is why I couldn't just say, hey, manage your calendars differently. But what I had to say is, can you let go of good things and say my commitment is to fully follow you, Jesus? It's interesting, after Peter says this, he kind of gives them an encouragement. Hey, I tell you what, I tell you this truly. No one who's left homes or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel, none of those things that you've left will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. And he goes through it, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecutions. By the way, it's not all good. And in the age to come, eternal life. Now, what I want you to get a picture of is Jesus promises more than when we let go. This is not a prosperity promise, though. He doesn't mean, hey, you'll lose a home, but you'll get a better one. He doesn't mean you'll lose family, but you'll get better ones. He's saying, though, it will be a new kind of what you get. (laughs) It was funny. I was thinking about this just in my life as a follower of Jesus and what the church, our church, any church that you're a part of, gets to be. My parents were both only children. I have one sister, no aunts, no uncles, no cousins. Now, I've worked deeply to repopulate the earth by having four children, and now they're working to repopulate the earth in their own rights, those that are already married. Do you know how big my family is now, though? Man, you're my brothers and my sisters. You are my family. My family is much bigger, and it's eternal. And make no mistake, I love the family God's given me, but this is the family God is giving me. And homes, I don't have lots of big homes personally, but I'm a part of all the homes and all the territory, as you are with me, of all of us. Because God is moving through homes to bring people to him, to bring new places and new land to grasp and new places to come because he's bringing his kingdom and his gospel everywhere the people that discover him go. It's just something bigger and better. And I love this because it's so honest. Listen, it's going to be more than you can imagine, but it's still going to be rough. Following me, you're going to have difficult times. This is not going to be an easy peasy lemon squeezy kind of life. It's going to be difficult, but it's going to be worth it. Man, it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. I love how he finishes it. He says, listen, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. He's telling us that letting go is indeed letting go. It's trusting him to surrender even when it doesn't look good for any of you or any of me or any of us. Letting go of our calendars, letting go of the things we think we need is not an assurance that everything is easy and nice, but it's an assurance it's better and it will mean more and it will last longer. Leaving really good things behind frees us to follow Jesus. 
What I didn't want to do is just say, listen, you've had an opportunity to strip away some things. Plan your new life accordingly. What I want to do is say, God's given us a window into how little we need of the things we have and how much more we need of him. And we have an opportunity now to say, God, I will leave everything behind to follow you. If I were to encourage you on what to do, those of you who do battle with your time, you need to sit down and start asking why you do what you do. You need to take those three questions. What do I hope to gain by doing this? What do we hope to gain as a family by doing this? What do I hope to gain in my work by doing this? What might we be losing out on if we do that instead of? And then you got to go to that third question. What might Jesus be saying to us if we let go of this? That there's something better on the other side. Radical surrender. That's the crazy part. The Christian life is not meant to be this nice little reasonable way we live. It is radically different. Just like it's radically loving, it's full of radical surrender. And it's not having to be a battle. It's just literally that we have to trust him for what we can't see. We literally have got to say, God, I trust you with what I can't see. So if I were to give you my dream coming out of this season, as your calendars will start to have opportunity to fill up, as you'll be able to go back to things you said really mattered, because make no mistake, when this thing first hit, and I watched it, and I lived it, and you lived it, man, we were suddenly at God's, basically before his face, crying out. We prayed more, we sought him more, because suddenly we realized these other things don't do it. But as they're slowly let back in, it's going to be really easy to go, well, you know, it was a good season. I'm ready to get back at what it was like. And if you'd slow down just enough to say to Jesus, hey, whatever you have, uh, uh, show me what it is. Out of your love for me, what do you want me to let go of? What is it that's holding me back? Is it my calendar? Is it my priority? Is it something else I've said I need this and I won't give this up to follow you? I, I don't know what it is. But I know the invitation out of love is God's saying, do it. Let go and move to radical surrender. Not a reasonable change, but radical surrender. I am so tired of people saying they just can't because. Because it's not what Jesus has for us. He did not make us in this time to be too busy to follow him, too busy to love other people, too busy to engage in the life with other believers, too busy to reach out to our friends and help them be loved by Jesus through us and discover his love through us. All right, I want to keep saying it, but I'm going to pray for us. Just that God will meet us and lead us and we'll hear. Lord, I ask that you would speak to each one of us. God, the same way you call us to radical love, we hear your call to radical surrender. And Lord, I am asking in my own life and the life of every one of us that we would stop saying, I just can't because. And Lord, whatever it is you're asking of us, we want to say we will let go and follow you. I don't know what it means for anybody tomorrow. I don't know what it means in interactions in the homes, in decisions for priorities, in things that we've held on to and said, I have to have this too. But God, let us let loose and not have our heads down because we couldn't, but our heads up saying you are better than and I trust you even though I can't see what that means. God, let us live as you intended to change the world, not to just be comfortable in it. I pray this in your name.
Amen.